All right, so as everyone kind of comes back in, here's, here's where we're at. Um, Scott did the session that, uh, you know, gives you principles and encourages you and inspires you and points you to Jesus. And I get the session that just unilaterally frustrates you. So that's what we're about to do. Um, because, you know, Scott's giving you this sense of how to talk to kids in general about this and kind of some of the larger scale principles. Uh, my kind of question is, so what do, you, what do you do on the specific topics they're facing? Um, which means that, you know, I'm not going to give you, uh, there's no version that doesn't leave you a little frustrated. That's okay. Scott mentioned that his was supposed to be frustrating. Mine is like a, a million times that. Because here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about kind of uh, teaching them things about sex in general, which is a, a large part what Scott talked about. We're going to talk about teaching them about sexuality, which is essentially dealing with sexual orientation. And then we're gonna talk about dealing with gender. And so as you put these things together, you kind of realize, okay, there's no version of this where I can give you like the three to eight talking points and show you how they intersect with the culture and what your kids are getting and demonstrate how to diffuse some of that apologetically while also inspiring. Like, there's, there's no version of that that works. Um, and yet, we do need to give you a place to start on some of the really common topics that kids are gonna hear about. So when it comes to like sex, sexuality, and gender, where do you start? Where, what are the first steps? And in giving you the first steps, this is what I'm gonna do. I, I'm gonna go through those topics. I'm gonna give you some of the main ways they come up in kids' lives at various ages. I'm gonna give you a kind of, um, we'll talk, you'll see a little more when we start. I'm gonna give you a, a kind of short phrase that you can start to use with the youngest kids. And then I'm gonna to explain to you how that phrase or something like it, you can continue to build out as they age to get more and more comprehensive, to get more and more uh, impactful, and basically to fill it with content. And then I'm gonna show you some resources that you can take and use further on. And those are all on the, on the last page, a little QR code with the Amazon list. Um, I'm gonna kind of point those out to you and say, here's a way to kind of do continuing education. So that's what we're gonna do. So you can see like, I'm just gonna leave you hanging. There's just gonna be so many questions you have. The reason this makes sense, um, a lot of which is just, you're gonna understand very quickly based on what Scott said, is because not just is there no way to do something that comprehensive in so short a time, um, but more than that, there's no way to do something so comprehensive that hits each kid in their specific situation with their specific temperament and struggles, that, that, that's not a thing. And so at some point, like Scott said, like the, the parents, both you know, biological, adoptive, and spiritual, are the ones that have to take the things that we've learned, the resourcing, and apply it in ways that intersect with those kids, those specific kids. Um, there's no other way to do it than that. And so th these really are first steps that are meant to give you something to work with as you take it and work it into the lives of the children around you. So that's the idea. And so in that sense, let's, let's jump right into it. Um, first, so sex, sexuality, gender. Sex, meaning a lot of what Scott covered, sort of uh, anatomy, puberty, sexual ethic, things like this. Like what, what is sex in general? What's it about? What's it for? And so he, I, I told you I'd give you like sort of how it comes up in kids' lives and then this phrase you got in your notes and then we'll talk a little more about that. So first, here's how it comes up in their lives. And you're gonna see this dichotomy kind of throughout this session that I do. Uh, younger kids, this stuff always comes up through curiosity. Older kids, it always comes up through experience. That's almost always how it works. So in other words, in younger kids, 
there's mainly a kind of discovering of themselves and the world that gives rise to these conversations. So why do I have the parts I have? That's, that's just how it kind of comes up. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, dad, why do you have hair on your face and not your head? Why does mom have hair on her head and not her face? Like, they, like just, they, they're noticing just different, like, dad, your arms have so much hair. Like, they, like these kind of things, they notice these differences in the bodies of adults or mature teenagers. Um, there's a lot of romantic, you know, and or sexual content in media and billboards, even the kind that's not really explicit. You know, mommy and daddy, why do they kiss on the lips? These are the kind, like younger kids, they, they're just noticing stuff. And there's a lot of why, a lot of curiosity. Where do babies come from? Why do those people have a baby if they're not married? Like, these are the kind of questions you get in younger kids. In, as kids age, that shifts from curiosity to experience. And by experience, I don't mean things that they personally have experienced, like this happened. And so I mean more along the lines of, uh, I'm trying to locate myself in the world. How, how do I kind of fit in the world around me on this topic? So why do I have the feelings and desires that I have? This is as kids age and go through puberty. These are one of, some, one of the big questions that comes up. Um, th- their own bodies are changing. They're trying to navigate that. Uh, general questions as they're older, what is sex for and why? That's never a question you get from a six-year-old. It is definitely a question you can get from a 16-year-old. And the questions are different because it's not just curiosity. It's how do I put myself in this place? Like, how do I locate myself in this world that has sex as a part of it? And in a body that is a sexed body. Like, how does that all work? And so these are the kind of ways they're going to come up. The one perennial one that we'll talk about, I suppose, as we go is also school. Like Scott mentioned the curriculum stuff. If they're, they're in public school, um, they're definitely going to get some of that there. But honestly, if they have friends, if they're existing in the world at all, there's a way in which that's going to come up as well in both curiosity and that kind of experience of locating yourself in the world. That's what they're kind of facing. They're facing kind of growing up in the world and being curious and then living in the world and trying to find their place in it in terms of sex. And so what I'm doing here is giving you not necessarily the best phrase, but a phrase um, (laughs) to use starting when they're extremely young and going forward. And as they go forward, you can build more into it. Now, here's why I think this is helpful. I I, kind of stole this actually from Matt Kleinhans, not the phrase, but the idea because he did this, um, he was a parent before me, and I watched him uh, repeat things to his kids. He would repeat things like, you know, Owen, sorry, I don't know, it's, it's, you know, Matt, so I'm gonna, I guess you know his kids. You know, Owen, people are more important than things. Like, if they're not sharing toys, and he would say it over and over, and I, cause I was in his apartment, and he would just say it over and over again, and I'm like, that's, that's kind of helpful, because you say it over and over again, and then you, like, say it and then explain a piece of it, and then the next time Owen hears it, that piece is still there, and then as he gets older, it's like, it just, it can grow with him and you can keep filling it with content. And I've tried to do this in some ways with my own kids, uh, theologically too. Like I'll talk about sometimes God is the biggest, the best, and he loves us the most. Like that fits a six-year-old, kind of also fits a 36-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, like you can fill that with some real content and that can be compelling for me, even though it, it, it works with, with a very young child. Um, and there's, there's plenty more. I, I do a uh, uh, thing with my kids with the gospel where I say, what's the, go-? I, I, I basically pop quiz, like, what's the gospel? And, and they'll look at me and the, <laughs> I, well, because I asked them and they didn't know. And I was like, we got to fix this. And, <laughs> and I said, like, you're pastor's kids. Like, you know, you got to be able to say, have an answer. Like, Jesus, God. Okay, in Genesis, like, okay, none of those. 
No, we need to just give you some shorthand to fill in. And they'll, they'll say, we are big sinners, but Jesus died for us. So now we're loved forever. Three parts, all important. And you can keep that for the rest of your life because it can, it can grow with you. These are just attempts, my attempts, so imperfect attempts, to give them something that you can start very young, but that can grow with them and that you can fill with content. So that's, that's the idea. And if you, if you pick something that you can repeat, especially, I mean, a decent amount of you here have younger kids, you can start this now. If you don't, that's fine. Sometimes older kids and adults like simple phrases too. Um, not that you know that from the way I talk most of the time, but it's true. Uh, and, and so, and so Matt's not even in the room. I just, he lives in my head. It's, it's a self-burn. He's <laughs> not even here. So I talk about philosophers all the time. Um, anyway, so it's helpful for everybody. This is an attempt to do that. Um, and you might come up with your own. But if you have a young kid or if you have an older kid, beginning to repeat things, a kind of repetition, uh, uh, a set of phrases and categories that you can use over and over again can be really helpful, for better or worse. And so this one is, sex is a special way husbands and wives love each other that sometimes makes a baby. It's a little long, but this is the big, this is the big bedrock one, right? So sex is a special way husbands and wives love each other that sometimes makes a baby. You can kind of do parts of that. Um, you know, sex is a special way husbands and wives love each other can just stand alone. But the idea is, you can see, it, it, it encapsulates a lot of what Scott said. And so if they have that in their heads at a young age, because when you happen to have these multiple talks, you know, he, he, Scott mentioned you know, a bunch of five minutes, you know, if you have these multiple talks, if this is something you work in or something like it into each one of those, you begin to have this, this thread that connects all those talks. And you begin to connect all the things you're saying around the phrase into the phrase. And so it answers the curiosity of younger kids. It, it helps you have kind of scaffolding to do that. It also is the kind of thing that you can build as they grow older. You begin to fill with content. And the way, let me just kind of give you some ways you can do that. Each word can begin to have a kind of, be a bucket that you can begin to fill with content. So the word, the word sex alone that leads you to the kind of trustworthy information Scott was talking about. Like the more they hear the word sex and they have trustworthy information uh, you know, inside of that, that word, the better they're gonna be as they age. And so immediately you have some kind of a bucket to fill. But a lot more than that, sex is a special way husbands and wives love each other. You know, that word special is an interesting word because it communicates uniqueness and it communicates a kind of reverence that's not idolatry. So they're gonna end up in a world where sex is either idolized or casual or somehow both. And the word special is a way that you can begin to talk about, okay, it's, it's not nothing. It's not just an appetite. It's also not uh, everything. It's not the sum total of love. It's a special way that husbands and wives love each other. And you begin to fill that with content. So every time they hear sex is a special way, they're, they're beginning to have that that comes right in with the phrase. Uh, husbands and wives, that's kind of unique phrasing. When they're young, you might say mommies and daddies. It can get a little easier that way because husbands and wives is unwieldy for a six-year-old sometimes. Um, but th that communicates the exclusiveness of sex. There's a reason why it's not two human beings. You know, like, there's a reason why it's husbands and wives. And that gives you a chance to speak in to that exclusiveness. There's also loving each other. There's a deep connection between love, sex, and marriage. That's robust and rich and in, not complicated, but it's thick. 
This, this set of connections between love and sex and marriage. And when you say this is a unique way husbands and wives love each other, that's a place to begin to grow. So a 16-year-old, you can really spend a lot of time talking about that connection, even using a phrase they knew when they were seven. And then finally, the sometimes makes a baby. You know, this is interesting. When Scott talks about kind of the, the, the blessed purpose of, of sex, you know, sex as a category, sex as a thing that exists is ordered towards procreation. Not each instance. Each instance of sex doesn't necessarily result in procreation. Sometimes many instances of sex don't result in procreation. But as a, as a unit, as, as a thing, as a category, it's ordered towards procreation. It's love propagating life. And in that sense, there's a, there is a deep connection between sex and babies. And kids ought to know that connection. Not just the fact that, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a pretty great job, but like the, at the end, all this like, you know, scaring them into <laughs> like every STI. Um, but it's not just like, don't do it or you might have a kid. It's a bad way of going about this. Kids are great. Uh, you know, like, like you should, shouldn't program against kids in the way you teach them about sex. It's a bad call. At the same time, you should let them know that it's not always, but, but, but the main idea is there is a, a thick and a rich connection between what sex is and procreation. Sometimes it makes a baby. And so you can see how a, a simple phrase that a seven-year-old can really understand can contain so much. And all of that, you know, this is actually one of the ones I, I would have liked, Scott gave me a longer one, I would have liked to keep this longer, but you gotta have it somewhat memorable, somewhat shorter. All of that only makes sense this whole thing in light of God. So God's not in this one, but the whole thing only holds together in light of God. Because what you have in sex, as a special way husbands and wives love each other that sometimes makes a baby, is this connection between love, covenant, sacrifice, vulnerability, uh, uh, giving of self, newness of life. Like this is how all of God's creation works. And there's a way that, that, that sex is uniquely uh, tethered to that, unique, a unique symbol. Scott, Scott talks about the shadow. Uh, the, the, the sex is actually a shadow of something larger, better, greater. And so in that sense, all this works inside of God. So there's number one. Again, I'm just gonna frustrate you endlessly because that's nowhere near enough, but you get a sense of it, don't you? You get a sense of like, here's something that I can use that on, on the foundation of this, I can begin to have these different con concepts sprout that are all really important to teach my kids as they get older and as they begin to try and locate themselves in the world. Hopefully, a, an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old, a 32-year-old could still remember this phrase and have all of that meaning packed into it, and it's still potent for them, still powerful for them. Um, we also have books. So these are the further resources on this one. Um, there is a set of books. There's four by a guy named Stan Jones, um, and I, I don't know why I'm doing I'm, I can't hold the books. I have, I have to do one hand. Um, but, but they're geared by ages. So there are four books. Uh, the first one's from ages, believe it or not, ages three to five. It's a book you can read. Uh, this is one of those rare things that I think, I mean, Scott, Matt, myself, a bunch of people have all used the same resource. It's just kind of, that's kind of rare, um, but, but they're, I think they're really good. And you can read this with your child and it goes through all the things, most of the things that Scott had talked about in really helpful ways. There's three to five. Here's one for ages five to eight. Then you graduate to kind of a more, a more it looks like more of a real book from ages eight to 11. And finally, there's one from ages 11 to 14 um, that takes you through. These are, these are just really good at getting at the general anatomy, puberty, sex, 
its relationship to marriage and babies and all these things in a way that's geared to different ages. It can grow with them and you can read it with them and discuss it with them. There's also, unfortunately, there's a couple books on the list we don't have, but Stan Jones wrote a book um, that's also for parents that I believe is called How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex. Um, so kind of on the nose, but helpful because um, he's the guy that wrote these. And so if you grab a hold of these sorts of things, this is the kind of thing you can turn to and go, I want more equipping for myself on this. You can pick these up and you can get some of that equipping. And some of them, uh, we're going to do this for every set of resources. There are some that are for kids of various ages, then some for adults. And so th these are, those are kind of both all in one. Okay. I was about to say any questions. That's a bad idea. So um, don't know why I have that instinct. Uh, <laughs> so next, sexuality. So this is really, we're talking here about orientation, about heterosexuality, homosexuality, these kind of ideas. Um, again, this hits kids in younger and older uh, age brackets in curiosity and experience. Um, younger kids, you know, why do boys only marry girls is a question I've gotten from five-year-olds. Just like, and just because, just because they were curious. That's weird. You know, there's, <laughs> there's two of us. Why, you know, why is that the arrangement? Like, well, well, here's why. And then you also, at a very young age these days, especially where we live, um, you will have six-year-olds, seven-year-olds who have friends who have two moms or two dads. And they'll come home from school and they will mention it and they will be like, that's weird. You know, what's that about? Um, you know, I, my, I, have, I have a mommy and a daddy. They got two mommies. I didn't know that was a thing. I, it's, it's very just curiosity. As they age, it becomes experience. It becomes locating themselves in the world that they're in. And so uh, how do I think about my friend who just came out? Which is happening younger and younger and younger. So there are kids in elementary school who are coming out. Um, and there's all sorts of complications around that and, and how you think about that and what's actually happening there. Um, but... It's at a younger and younger age that you're finding kids having to navigate. Like, what, 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 how do I treat my friend who just said she's bi? Like, well, I don't know what that means. You know, mom, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I don't know if she knows what that means, but she says that's what she is. So how do I, like, what, what do we do here? Uh, how do I handle my own questions about attraction and sex? You know, there's plenty of ways it's not just something they experience outside of them. It can be plenty of ways it's something they experience inside of them. What do I do with this? Um, what about loving others? You know, like, how do I love my friend who is gay? Like, what, what do I do with that? How do I handle that? And then there's also ways that this can show up, um, well, I guess, in very surprising ways. And so sometimes uh, the, fir the first question isn't always the real question as kids get older. And it's true with adults, too. We do this all the time. The first question isn't always the real question. You may, might open with something, and you might yourself not know that the real question is something a little bit further down and, like, to the left. So you're, you're not really sure how that works. But you might feel the question about, like, the Bible. How do we know the Bible's true? How do we know what we, can't, what we should and shouldn't, you know, do with the Bible or believe about the Bible? You answer a Bible question, and if you take enough time to listen and ask follow-up questions the way Scott has talk, talked to us about earlier— you realize, oh, this is actually connected to sexuality. Like there's, way, there's ways that something gave rise to this. That's not always true. I'm not saying every question about the Bible is about sex. But I am saying that, well, a lot of them are. But, but I am saying that, that there's ways that that can happen, that the first question isn't always the real question. And so there's plenty of ways that older kids are going to be asking questions or making statements or assertions that are geared to maybe 
even unconsciously or unintentionally, get you to a different place in a different conversation. And as parents and spiritual parents, it can help to know that and try and find what the real question is um, underneath the, maybe the first question. So that's what tends to happen on this topic. Here's the phrase for younger, the youngest kids to grow into. Who you marry is about more than how you feel. And you notice I have marry slash love, um, and we'll talk about that in a second, but who you love is about more than how you feel. When I do this, um, I talk about uh, the we're kind to everyone sandwich, which is wrong because it's actually the bread, but whatever. Um, the idea is that, and this is how I've done it with, with, with my kids, you know, for better or worse, um, I, I, when they have questions on this, or if they don't have questions and they bring up a friend that has two moms, two dads, whatever, um, I don't just kind of insert myself, I don't wedge myself in there, but when it's appropriate, I'll say, you know, Jesus has told us to be kind to everyone. You know, we also believe that marriage is about more than just how you feel. And Jesus has told us that even so, we're, we're supposed to be kind to everyone. And part of the reason I do that is because younger kids um, don't like have a filter. And so you wanna be a little careful, not to make them like ashamed of the truth or anything, but like, when, like a six-year-old might roll in and be like, the Bible says your dads are wrong. You know, it's like, okay, maybe that's not our, maybe that's not our opener. You know, plus, it just genuinely, it's not a kind approach. Like you want to the point isn't just to give them truth about this topic. The, the point is to give them truth about God and the world and all things, right? So, so kindness is actually a pretty big part of this uh, because kindness is kind of a part of all things. Love is patient, love is kind. And so in that sense, there's a way you can sandwich these sorts of things that make them helpful. But this is that phrase, and I, I do use this one. You know, we believe who you marry is about more than how you feel. And sometimes I will swap it out. We believe who you love is about more than how you feel. And here's how you begin to fill that out. And again, it's kind of word by word. <clears throat> you know, marry slash love, I, I flip them, I alternate them in some ways to demonstrate the connection between the two. That these are, these are deeply connected and at the exact same time to demonstrate that this isn't just true about sexuality. So there's a way that, this could get long and I won't let it, but there's a way that you can begin to equip kids on sex, sexuality, gender, in ways that is kind of discrete, like ziplocked uh, topics away from everything else. And it doesn't work well when you do that um, because none of life is ziplocked away from the rest of life. And so there's a way that our reaction uh, not reaction, our approach towards sexuality is not um, because, well, sorry, let me start with that again. Our approach to sexuality is based on our approach to love, not restricted to just sexuality. The truth is, apart from sexuality, in, in every relationship, who you love is about more than how you feel. <laughs> that's true across the board. That's, that's woven into creation. That's how love exists. That's what it is in its natural state. Love is about more than how you feel everywhere. So of course it's gonna be true here. So you can see how you can begin, that's a pretty rich concept. The, the, the love we have in, in a more general sense, love for God, love for neighbor. If we're talking love for neighbor, that love kind of can refract out into things like deep friendship, into things like marriage. And all of those have a connection, even though they're not the same. And you, you can build that into a simple phrase like who you marry or love is about more than how you feel. That's kind of an amazing thing you'd be able to do to carry that with you. Um, the word love also is, it gives you a chance to talk about how attraction is connected to, but different than love. So your attraction is connected to love, but it's different than love. In other words, in my, Dave's right there, in a phrase I have stolen liberally from him, the Venn diagram has some purple in it. 
but it's still a Venn diagram. There's still plenty of red and plenty of blue. So, the, so it, attraction is connected to, but different than, love. And so that's one of the things that you can begin to build out of this phrase. Who you love is about more than how you feel, because attraction isn't immediately, do not pass go, do not collect $100, love. It is, it, it is all sorts of other things that are involved in that that you can begin to teach children as they grow into adults. And that phrase, more than how you feel, does bring you like that relationship between your feelings and your decisions and identity. That is something that uh, is very difficult um, to get across today based on how the world, like the, the city has a way of communicating that your feelings are who you are. Um, they're not distinct from who you are. I had someone say the other day, uh, they were talking to kids and they were saying, um, your, feelings, your feelings are like fish in a pond and your job is to be the pond, not the fish. And I was like, that's actually pretty good. Like, <laughs> like there's a way in which, I mean, you, you can get into theology of emotions. It's a bunch of more stuff there. But the, the main point is out in the world, if you feel it, you are it. And that's just a really, it, it's, a, it's a really damaging way to live, even outside of the realm of sexuality. Um, it's also a really damaging way to live in this category. And it's the kind of thing that you, you want to build a category for inside of this kind of phrase. It's like, it's more than how you feel. Because, because, well, notice, it's not denying how you feel. It's about not letting your feelings, even your deep ones, be the ultimate authority in your life. Your feelings are important, but not determinative. Your feelings are real. And, and you, don't, you don't need to deny them or squish them down, but they're not the thing that tells you who you are. And they're not the thing that guides all of your decisions. It's not inauthentic to evaluate your feelings. So more than how you feel carries a lot of weight. And you can see how that can allow them to navigate the world with wisdom in ways that are far beyond just sexuality. But to tell a kid who you marry and love is about more than how you feel has a lot of things you can build into it. Of course, this one begs a why question. And that's part of the beauty of this kind of phrase too. Why is it that way? <laughs> like, why is it more than how you feel? My feelings are very strong. Why does it have to be this way? And that's where essentially your answer has to tap into things that are about a lot more than sexuality. Again, you can't zip like this off. This only works. It only ever works um, if, if it's inside a foundation of other theological truths and in lives that live them out. That's the, because you're... At some level, you're trying to show your kids and yourself that these topics fit in to all the other topics. Everything is connected. Everything grows together and sits together because they're not just getting an isolated idea of marriage and gender in their school curriculum or in the billboards or whatever. They're not just getting like this, they're not getting just this one phrase. It's like, hey, FYI, uh, men should be able to marry men and women should be able to marry women. And that's disconnected from everything else. No, of course not. They're getting in, all of that is woven into a whole network of ideas about what life is like and what flourishing looks like and where you find joy and how the human life is meant to be lived and how we can progress as a society. That's all connected. And so if your answer is just the competing phrase, that's not gonna do much. The answer has to be that phrase inside of an, our own vision, a better, more robust, more biblical vision, which is more accurate to creation, the world and reality about what it means to flourish as a human being and how you live out your identity and how God made you to be and how you, how you live life in a certain way. All of that needs to sit together. And so in that way, this kind of phrase is the kind of phrase that moves you towards that, the answer to that. Why, why is it this way? 
oh, let me tell you. <laughs> because we have better answers. And I think at some point, that's, we have to let that light shine and know that you know, good truth on other topics that don't seem related, like scripture and the gospel and God's character, all feed into this question and all make it something that really shines as, as a way of living. Scott kind of alluded to it earlier, but the Christian sexual ethic is beautiful and rich and joyous. It's not damaging. It's the only one that isn't damaging. And so to show them that requires a lot more than just like the, 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 the right phrase. It, it's, it's how that phrase fits into the whole vision of what the Christian life is about and why it's so beautiful and why it's better, why it's a better way in the language of our sermon series. So that's, there's that phrase. And so hopefully, again, I'm frustrating you, but here's some more resources <laughs> we can do. Um, you know, take it up with them. Um, this is a phenomenal book series for young kids. Uh, I, I think it's the, I think they call it the God Made series. Um, we have a couple out in the resource uh, library right now. There's a ton of them. They're all, I mean, I haven't found one I don't like. This is by Marty Machowski. This is God Made Boys and, wait, sorry, wrong one. Wrong one. This is the one for this one. Um, a Child's First Book About Marriage. It's by Janie Orland. Some of you might have heard of Ray Orland. He's a pastor out in Nashville. Uh, his wife wrote this. It's called, the subtitle is God's Way is Always the Best. Um, and this takes you through just a general idea of, of the beauty of the Christian idea of marriage. And it touches on all these ideas of sexuality along the way, but it does it in a way that's not like overdone or too heavy or too like pointed. It really does it in light of the beauty of the Christian sexual ethic. And so it's a really cool way to like give something to young kids and read it with them. It doesn't feel like you're trying to have like this big conversation. You're just reading a book about some stuff and, it, and it's helpful. Um, on top of that, in your resources section, there's one, one book we don't have for like older, uh, older kids um, and teenagers is Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called Living in a Gray World. Um, I don't have to show you, but it's on the, on the list. Uh, it's essentially a book for teenagers that's um, a teenage version, give or take, of this book called People to be Loved um, that he wrote, which I recommended, uh, we recommended for, uh, for the parents and, and spiritual parents as well. Um, this is a book on homosexuality that's written in a way I've never seen anything written um, because it's written almost entirely in conversation with people who are homosexual. Um, and so there, the, the idea of love is built into the book. It, he can't get away with simple uh, arguments. He can't get away with like, uh, well, of course you'll agree with me so I can speak loosely. He really has to be so careful and he lands in a traditional Christian sexual ethic. Um, and so it's a really great way to kind of work through the topic and not just know answers to questions, but know a heart um, behind a Christian approach to things. And there's another one on there um, that is relatively recent by a guy named Mark Yarhouse called Understanding Sexual Identity. It's technically a resource for youth ministers, um, but it's phenomenal for parents. And it goes through a lot of the teenage, especially experience with sexual identity and orientation right now. Uh, not gender identity, which is a different thing, but sexual identity, which is more of an orientation kind of terminology. Um, this can be a phenomenal book if you want to learn more about kind of, if you're 42 or so like me, and you're like, I remember being a teenager. Um, and it's like, oh, it's different now. This is the book that you can read and feel like you've got a little bit of a, a little bit more purchase on kind of what their experience is like, because it's probably different than yours. Um, but that's a helpful book as well. And there are some resources for that. So next and last, gender. This is a big one today um, for lots of reasons. Here are the challenges. Again, young kids are gonna bring this up by curiosity. Can girls do anything boys can do? Can boys do anything girls can do? 
Um, why? I mean, uh, this has actually happened um, to me. You know, uh, uh, my younger kids at one point are like, why is that man wearing a dress? Um, why is that man wearing makeup? Um, I was like, please say that quieter. Um, like, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like be, be very helpful if you could ask me that in a more discreet manner. Because um, <laughs> I don't want to answer that loud. But, but, so, but again, you see, it's curiosity. There's not necessarily anything besides I notice something and I want to know more about it. That's almost always how it is for younger kids. And again, you can notice those same things and bring those topics up. I don't mean to present this as though you have to wait for them to ask something. I do want you to know kind of the, the insides of what they're, where they're at. So younger kids are not going to have really existential questions about this. They're going to have curiosity questions. And that's probably how we should approach it, even if we're initiating those conversations proactively. Uh, older kids, again, it, it's almost always experience it, from things like, I don't always feel very, you know, quote, manly or quote, feminine. Like, what does that mean? Like, the, the boys at school do all these things. I don't like those things. What does that mean about me? And vice versa, right? Um, and, and some of the other similar questions about like, how do I know the Bible's right on this? How do I know? What about loving others? What about God making people a certain way? Shouldn't we respect how they're made? Why is how they're made connected to their bodies? Like there's all these kind of theological uh, questions that show up and kind of philosophical questions. And then just the existential questions of like, how does this relate to how I feel? I've got a friend who says he, you know, he really is a girl or she really is a boy. Um, why shouldn't I just go with that? Like, how do I handle that um, in a way that, that is appropriate to both my love for God and my love for this person? Like, what, what do I do? So th those tend to be the older questions, more existential, more inside. So when you're proactive there, you got to kind of take that into consideration. They're living in kind of the same world you are and maybe one that's a little more pointed than yours. And so we got to talk to them that way. But here's the phrase uh, that you can start young and, and have them grow into. God made you a boy or a girl on purpose. You know, it's kind of simple. Um, but boy, can it carry some freight if you begin to pack it full of content as they age. Um, as they age, the, now God is built into this one. God made you a boy or girl on purpose. So by bringing God in, the idea of a designer behind your design and a designer that's not capricious or mean or distant. So the character of God as good and wise, all good and all wise, and that that God is the one behind your design as male or female. You can begin to build that in. In the beginning, like all, all kids need to know is like, well, you know, yeah, God, yeah, God did it. It's like, okay. But as they age, more of why he did it, how he did it, that you begin to kind of have that character behind the design. Made is important because you begin to see the, the idea that your gender is part of your created makeup. So how you are created involves your gender. There is a connection, a one-to-one -one connection with how you are created and your gender, which is the, kind of the main thing uh, on the other, that's being attacked, I suppose, today, is that there's not a connection between how you are made or fashioned or your biological reality and your gender. And we're saying, no, that, that word made becomes really important, that God designed, and that design is a way he built into you as he made you, and he made you a boy or a girl, which essentially is just talking about the gender binary that everyone can get so mad about, but that's a thing. Um, and we're trying to get across the idea that as younger kids, like Scott said, there's so much we could say here, but as younger kids, they're sort of like, yeah, yeah, like it's a girl over there, boy right here. 
Thanks, Dad. You know, I mean, I, there's, not, there's not a lot to say when they're younger. The, the idea, though, is to have that built in in such a way that they begin to go, okay, interesting. Now, as I get older, you pair this with what Scott talked about, about like trustworthy information. So now you're actually a trustworthy resource for the physical differences between boys and girls as they age, the way those differences are designed and how they're made to flourish. You begin to connect male and female to God's design for human beings as a whole. So God made you a boy or a girl begins to carry not just content about kind of your, your physical makeup and the fact that there are different, that, that these, are, these are the two. It begins to carry uh, all this freight, all this weight that comes with those definitions we gave you about manhood and womanhood. That, that, that boy and girl actually is something that exists in kind of an asymmetrical harmony. That these are, these are the kind of things that, that go together in beautiful and flowering sort of ways, not just in marriage, but in the whole world God made. Like that can actually be carried along. You begin to have those conversations. And when you say God made you a boy or a girl, they're going, wow, that's like packed full of information and joy and goodness. And then finally, on purpose. Now, in some ways, God made, well, on purpose is kind of built in. But I put this phrase in additionally, because in the beginning with kids, just the idea that there's a good reason for God doing what he did is enough. It's on purpose. It wasn't an accident. God made it on purpose. But as, as they age, seeing some of the goodness of that reason in the image of God, in being human, like together in relationship in the world, in Genesis 1 and 2, and eventually you get to, what exactly is that purpose? God made you a boy or a girl on purpose. And that's where the full depth of that manhood, womanhood, like eight-hour conference of the, of the definitions comes through. Because all of a sudden now, when, when I'm a 42-year-old male, when I hear God made me a male, I mean me a boy, <laughs> on purpose, I have, there's, that has legs for me. That, that affects me, honestly, in a relatively deep way. Um, because it informs the life that I live and it, and it really has behind it the full weight of like God and creation and trajectory and, 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 and what it means to be a human being in the world, serving and loving others, along, a man alongside women. Um, that's crazy that a phrase that simple can do that to me, but it can because all that freight is in there. And that's the joy of what we get to do as parents, again, whether biological, adoptive, or spiritual, we get to build that kind of freight in to these simple phrases. It's probably enough for a six-year-old to be like, on purpose? Yep, on purpose, okay. But, I, but as they imagine slowly having multiple conversations that connects just that little phrase with all the beauty of who God is, what he's like, of how he made the world and made it to work, of how you and I are a part of it, not just as discrete individuals who are interchangeable, but as unique individuals who are uniquely made male or female in our uniqueness. And how that relates to things like marriage and sex, but also vocation and life in the world and community and church and ministry and all these things. Like that's, that's a pretty cool privilege to have, to be able to build those things in over years to, to another human being so that they end up being able to look at the world that same way. And hopefully, better than you and me. Because when you start doing this sort of a thing and they're reading the Bible and they're also involved in the church community and they're learning things themselves and God is growing them by the spirit, there's a decent shot that these, these phrases are gonna be filled for them in deeper, richer, better ways than they're filled for us. And then if, at one day they get to tell their kids if they have kids or they get to turn around and tell us the things that we, we missed 
about how rich and beautiful and full of glory this is. That's an amazing idea. And that's the goal behind this. Now, there are some further resources for this one too. The one I accidentally picked up before, God made boys and girls. They're all related. I'm going to give myself a pass. Um, God made boys and girls, uh, Marty Machowski. It's a, it's a kid's book. It's a little long. It gets a little gospel-y. Like, like there's a full-on like Romans road in here. Um, but, uh, but it's good. And, and it gives you a sense of uh, boy and girl and why. I think that's it's a really great place to start. Again, it's the kind of book you can pick up and read with a kid and there, it doesn't feel agenda laden if you're eight. You know, so like it's a pretty great way to do it. And it's not agenda laden. It's just got, it's on a topic. It, 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 it's well written that way. Um, and then we have, uh, for teenagers, there's not a lot on this right now. Um, and, and, and one of the best books I found that you could give a teenager, again, each kid's mileage may vary. Parents have to do this on your, you have to figure out what's appropriate for your kid, right? So I'm just like, hand this stuff out because I told you to, like evaluate for, for the kids that you have. Um, Sam Albury wrote a book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. In there is talk about gender um, and, and some of the things we've talked about, but in there is also a lot more. And what I like about that is it, teenagers would feel like you're, you're getting a book that is not just about like a hot topic culturally, but actually shows how that topic is woven into a bunch of other things that are theological deep. And that actually, like the idea of pairing um, God's uh, generous view of gender to God's generous view for things like body image, like and seeing how those can connect. I mean, there's, there's ways it's really beautiful. I mean, it's gonna hit them in a lot of different ways and hopefully those connections can, can stick. And then for, for, uh, for us grownups, as my kids like to call us, uh, two, pre- same press and sprinkle um, from People to Be Loved, wrote a book called Embodied with the exact same style. Um, he knows a ton of people um, who are trans and who, are, who struggle with it, some who uh, have transitioned, some who have detransitioned. I mean, he knows everyone and he's befriended them. And so they trust him. And so he's the kind of guy that can write on this and give you an understanding, not just of what the Bible has to say, but how it intersects with the real lived experience of people in a fallen world today. It, to me, that's invaluable. Um, to be able to have someone who knows those stories well and respects them and cares about the people in them while still holding to a Christian traditional sexual ethic. I think it's, it's phenomenal. So it's a great book. And then the same guy, um, Mark Yarhouse, with Julia Sadusky, wrote a book called Emerging Gender Identities, a little more scholarly. Remember, his other one was sexual identity. This is gender identity. And it's the emerging ones. This is relatively novel, um, even societally for us. It's relatively new uh, especially the way this movement picked up steam over the last five, six years. And so this kind of book is also kind of invaluable if you want to get a little deeper in what's going on around us and understanding kind of the different, even terminology that people are using that's hard to stay abreast on, things like that. That being said, you don't have to read any of these. Um, I, 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 at some point, that you want to be able to, well, I want personally, and I think you want to, to feel equipped to handle something that feels so big. And that feels like it's changing rapidly, um, both in terms of what it is and its cultural power. And so I want to provide opportunities to kind of avail yourself of that. If you want to learn more about this stuff, these are great places to go. And it's really helpful, um, if you wanna have those proactive conversations Scott was talking about, it's really helpful to have kids' books to read like, how do you start this conversation about gender with a seven-year-old? I don't know. A book would help. You know, like, like you might, you can't, can't hurt, right? Like, these are, there's ways in which that is just one more tool in the toolbox to help you do these things that we want to be able to do. Um, at the same time, this is not enough. 
Um, what I'm doing, what I just gave you is not enough. It probably feels like rapid fire. Um, and the truth is, though, that more of this right now, like making this a three-hour session that takes an hour on each topic, also isn't enough. And taking each day and doing an eight-hour conference on it also isn't enough. Because the point is that answers aren't as important as being good parents. The, 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 the silver bullet that you want to have of knowing exactly what's going on in the culture understanding exactly how to communicate the perfect way about gender identity with your kid, we got to have first steps. You got to have something to go with, right? You got to have truth in your pocket. But you also have to know that there isn't a perfect answer for this. And Scott said a million times, I'll say it too, there isn't a script. And that ultimately it's educating yourself enough to faithfully care for the kids under your charge. That's what we're going for. So you don't have to read these books. If you want to, they might be really helpful. But don't think that you need to do that before you can have these conversations. The, the, the truth is that it takes a village to raise a kid. And you aren't at this conference, so you can go out by yourself, read all the books, and then know exactly what to do. You're here to get some resources, to understand some principles. Honestly, for most of you, just to refresh on a lot of the stuff you kind of already knew and maybe pick up a few new things along the way. And then to be able to go out and parent your kids amongst other parents, biological, adoptive, and spiritual, in this church community, where we're going to help each other and be resources for each other in ways that books could never do. Ultimately, having the right answer, you got to have truth, but having the right answer, the perfect right answer, isn't as important as love in community with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after. That's, where, that's the difference maker. And so that's what I want to leave you with, is ultimately, it... it it's not going to be what you learn about these topics that does it. It's going to be how you learn the truth of God's word and apply it well in community under the guidance of the spirit to the kids that God's given you under your care. That's what's going to do it. And so this is the one where you're like, okay, I don't know if I remember anything that Brian said. I might try and use a phrase. Some of these are lame. I'll make up my own. Perfect. Let me know what they are. They might be better. Okay. But in the meantime, we've got each other's back here, right? So we're going to take care of each other. And we're going to do this together. All right, let me pray. We'll take a break. We'll have a panel. Father, help us as we go. We need you for this. We need uh, you to call into flame our own faith, um, to raise it up, to, to let it stand the way it should. Um, we need you to help our kids and walk with them. We need you to knit us together as a community more and more that can be a resource on these things. We need you to get our minds right so we worry less about being in control and, and think more about loving and speaking the truth in that love. It can feel so overwhelming, but nothing is big to you. And this isn't either. So help us be faithful and wise and humble and caring and intentional and know that you go before us and walk with us and hem us in behind. So help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.